Hello, and welcome to our wonderful listeners. Well, here we are halfway through January, and we have hit our holiday lull, which for us means we crammed a whole bunch of recording before winter holidays, and now we're at a wonderful breaking point where we take one week off to give you a book interview. Today, we're welcoming back the wonderful Dr. Jamie Goodall to talk to us about some pirate ladies. I want to say a special thank you to Vero, Juniper, and Artemis for their email requests. And then as always, thank you to our patrons, Eric, Misty, Emily, H, Kara, Krista, Rachel, and Leah from Hashtag History, Sarah, Joanne, Lessa, Emily P, Rebecca, and new patrons, Elena and Brooke. Enjoy the show. Welcome to a special edition of our show, Her Strength on the Rocks, with Katie and Allie. Normally, it would just be Allie and I, and we'd be hanging out, having a couple cocktails, talking about famous women in history, but sometimes we like to talk to women who are currently making history. We have a very special guest with us today, Dr. Jamie Goodall. Welcome back to our show. Thank you guys so much for having me back. <laughs> You're, this is our first repeat guest, yep. so it's very special. First repeat guest, very exciting. <laughs> Jamie is a, what we like to call pirate doctor, although I don't think that's a thing, and our official (laughs) podcast pirate expert, and we have invited her back to our show today to talk about lady pirates with us. Hi, Jamie. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself since the last time we recorded? Sure. So since the last time we recorded, I changed jobs, so I no longer teach history at Stevenson University in Baltimore County. I moved to Alexandria, Virginia to take a job in DC with the US Army Center of Military History. So it's a very big change in terms of what I do from day to day, but it's kind of nice having a nine to five like job where I don't have to do work outside of work. So, <laughs> um, and then I have two new projects on the horizon. Um, this year I've been writing a bookazine for National Geographic on piracy and shipwrecks which comes out in April of 2021. And I got contracted to write a follow-up book on Pirates of the Mid-Atlantic. So sort of focusing on New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Delaware. Um, And that'll come out in 2022. That's awesome because for for people who weren't listening about a year ago, uh, Dr. Jamie Goodall came on our show to talk about her first book, Pirates of the Chesapeake, which we were very interested in because we're obviously from Baltimore. Yep. I was super excited when I was Christmas shopping. I saw it in person in Barnes and Noble and I got very excited. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to know, so I've been seeing your Instagram posts and everything. And do you work um, at the place that looks like a pyramid that has the thing sticking out of it. I don't know if that's the correct military museum because I know there's one for the Marines and there's one for other ones. Which one do you work at? So right now I'm working at the base at Fort McNair. Um, The center is just a small building across from the uh, National Defense University. Um, But pretty soon I'll be moved to the Pentagon to work in that office. So Um, yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. It'll probably be a couple years before they move me. They want to fully train me and being teleworking this whole time. They, they want me to work at Fort McNair a little bit longer. Yeah. So is being on this podcast going to affect your clearance? Yeah. (laughs) In any way. 
<laughs> Let's hope not. Yeah. <laughs> so just like we normally do on our show, we want to start because this is an audio podcast mm-hmm. with getting a, just an image in our head of what these female pirates, although there's you know, hundreds of them, what they might possibly look like. And as we know right now, everybody's busy. Oh my gosh. They're wrapping presents. They're trimming the tree or taking it down. If this is probably an air after Christmas. Yeah, we'll see. They might be taking it down. (laughs) I don't know. Who knows? But everybody's (laughs) doing something. So we're going to tell you what these women look like. Mm -hmm. And we're going to feel free to join in. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to get a little physical, physical. Okay. Female pirates are typically dressed like super like sexy and seductive and like on these boats and they have this wild red hair and this awesome cleavage and how how close to accurate is that for female pirates that you know of? Uh, it's so far from the truth. It's kind of <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> um, So with rare exception, uh, if a woman wanted to be a pirate, she had to dress like a man. She had to pretend to be a man, more or less. Um, So she would have dressed like any typical sailor would have dressed during their respective time periods. Um, A dress would have been really impractical for ship life. And women were often considered bad luck due to the potential for distractions, of course. You know, you got lonely men at sea, um, which would in turn anger the sea gods and cause bad weather. So they wouldn't want to present themselves as a woman. They wouldn't have been allowed on the ship to begin with. Um, but again, rare exception, because Grace O'Malley was able to be herself uh, for the most part. Um, and so when you think of a pirate, you typically think of the 17th or 18th century, the golden age of piracy in the Atlantic world. And you've got a man with like a bandana around his head and a scarf around his waist. And he's wearing tattered clothing and boots. And he looks a lot like Captain Jack Sparrow, right? That's yeah. the vision we have. Um, unfortunately for our imaginations, uh, this look is just as produced as the movies are. Um, <laughs> 18th, 19th century, 17th century pirates would have worn things like loose pants cut off at the knee and a thigh-length blouse, and they often went barefoot so that they could grip the deck of the ship better. So no fancy boots. Hmm. That is surprising. I did not expect that. Yeah. (laughs) I hate being barefoot, so I would not have been a pirate. This girl (laughs) loves shoes. I hate shoes. (laughs) Um, so you suggested a wonderful drink for tonight. I was so excited about a cranberry whiskey sour. Mm, That's delicious. Okay. (laughs) I named it Shiver Me Lady and then literally realized Shiv Her Me Timber. What is wrong with me? Like, oh, Shiv Her. Oh, I see. Our show is her story. (laughs) (laughs) Why didn't I connect that in my head? But I like this name. (laughs) Okay, fine. We'll go with Shiver Me Lady. Whatever. Alternate name. The cocktail formerly known as. So this is two ounces of whiskey, three to four ounces of cranberry juice, a third of an ounce of lemon juice, and then a pinch of sugar. How did you make yours? So um, I made mine sort of off the cuff. I just poured a whole bunch of bourbon into a shaker glass and a whole bunch of cranberry juice into a shaker glass. Um, and I don't have regular sugar, so I used cane sugar syrup to put in and lemon juice. Oh, nice. So, and then I just shook that up and now I've got a giant glass of it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, cheers. <laughs> cheers. That's a full goblet. Cheers. <laughs> okay. 
very good goblet of drink. Yeah, this is great. Oh. I love it. Mm. I love any very festive. Special. I really mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. It is festive. It looks like a Christmas drink. Yes, it does. <laughs> So you, um, after we had our initial talk and we had so much fun and we were sitting in our basement back when we were allowed to talk to each other in person, (laughs) you had mentioned that there's this really cool book called Pirate Women, Princesses, Prostitutes, and Privateers Who Rule the Seven Seas. And I got it on Audible and I listened to it and it really takes you like through the history of female pirates. But in the introduction... There is this quote, and I first wanted to kind of start talking about how we feel about it in terms of gender roles. And it said, women pirates are often absent from historical discussion because their existence is threatening to traditional male and female gender roles. How do we feel about that? Is that true to form? I mean, I think this is partially true uh, in the sense that if they were known to be women, they are threatening to traditional male and female gender roles. But like I said, a lot of times uh, they weren't presenting as women. And I think a major reason for the lack of historical discussion surrounding women pirates is due to a lack of tangible evidence. Um, With the exceptions of those like Anne Bonny and Mary Read, they're largely absent from the written historical record. And so a lot of what we know about the few female pirates we do know about, um, it comes from legend and lore and oral history traditions, uh, which means that historians, historians use that information, but without written evidence or some sort of material culture evidence to back it up, it, you know, we don't want to present it as fact necessarily. Um, so, but there's been renewed interest in women pirates, um, historiographically, gender history has come back. Like, it's it's really big, race, gender, and class. Um, and right now, of interest to you guys, uh, talking about Lady Pirates, uh, Dr. Rebecca Simon, who's a fellow pirate historian, um, she's currently working on a monograph about Anne Bonny and Mary Read. And she actually just came out with a book called Why We Love Pirates, The Hunt for Captain Kidd and How He Changed Piracy Forever, which might be of interest to people as well. Mm, That's so interesting. And I also, I was thinking while you were talking about how we just don't have much evidence, it kind of reminds me of how like, you know, people are like, oh, like, where are all the female spies? And it's like, well, if they were successful, we didn't know about them. (laughs) 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 And like, you know, I feel like a lot of these female pirates like tried to get on board, like you said, like dressed as men and like trying to kind of pass. So I wonder if that's a big part of it too, is like, yeah, they were successful. So we never knew they existed. (laughs) Yeah, and I think the book did a good job describing, like, okay, so female pirates weren't just, like, pirates in, like, the namesake. They were women who had joined the Navy, and they were women who were fighting to, like, take back the throne that they thought they had lost because their father died, and they didn't have any brothers, and then they're like, that's mine! So they're, like, fighting this battle, and it, like, starts with that, and, like, that Grecian history all the way up to, like, women who are sex workers and, like, trying to make a way for themselves. Um, So I guess what is the perception of women that operate against the social norms? Because we look at pirates and we kind of think like they're outlaws, but they're an anti-hero. Mm. They're kind of cool. We kind of like them. But with a woman operating against social norms, I think we feel a little differently about it. The quote in the book is pirates live outside the laws of man, but women pirates live outside the laws of nature. 
and therefore people aren't ready for it. Yeah, I think that's largely true, um, mostly because uh, our perceptions of women pirates, like you said, we have the vision of them as these scantily clad, bosomy women who are out there with these swashbucklers. Um, we have to sexualize them in order to accept them in that role. Um, we can't look at them like Mary Reed, who very clearly dressed as a man, had been raised as a boy. Uh, she was raised as Mark Reed. And, you know, so we have to hypersexualize them in order to accept them in that role. Um, you even see that in the Pirates of the Caribbean films a bit, um, you know, with Elizabeth uh, and the corset scene, like we, we have to put her in a per particular place uh, in order for her to be accepted. Yeah, I, I would absolutely agree that mm -hmm. we're, we're like looking at um, you, you want the woman to at least look feminine, right? Like if she's not mm -hmm. going to act feminine, you want her to at least look a certain way if you're going to put her into like this fictional context. And it's like, you wonder how many people slip through the cracks. I'm sure hundreds. Yeah. Cause I, I felt that way. I've only seen one episode of black sales and I think it was the first one. I was like, wow, there are a lot of boobs in this show. <laughs> <laughs> It's like they go to like, um, oh my gosh, what is the island? Tortuga. Uh, Tortuga. Tortuga, yes. They go there and then it's just like all sex workers and like they're also kind of like robbing him though. And like, it's just like a whole lot all at once of like, all right, we have to so show sexy ladies to draw the people into the story. <laughs> yeah. I feel like at the end of the day, sometimes when you make pirate movies, like, you know, or whatever, you depict pirateness, if you don't have the hot ladies and it's just a bunch of like weird gross men on a boat which is probably what it was in real life <laughs> stealing things yeah <laughs> lots, lots of theft yeah <laughs> uh, but in the greatest way um so i think let's start talking about some ladies that we have covered on the show and Katie and I regularly tell people we are not historians but we do our very best so <laughs> we've talked about we did Anne Bonnie and Mary Reed on an episode together way back towards the beginning, and we did Ching Shi as well. And I think maybe let's start talking about her because she was a sex worker. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, she's arguably the most successful pirate of all time. She runs a gigantic fleet. She's got, you know, she's in the 17, 1800s, which is like the golden age. I think that's the golden age of piracy, or is that after? That's it. Golden Age is about 1650 to 1730. Okay, okay. so somewhere in there. Um, but what, what makes us not look at her as a pirate? Is it because she's from China? Is it because she was a sex worker in the beginning? Is it a timing thing? Like, I feel like I didn't know about her until I started this podcast. Yeah, I, I think the fact that she began her career as a sex worker prevented many people uh, contemporarily and at present from taking her exploits seriously. Um, but another reason we tend not to focus on Ching Shi is that when we in the Americas, uh, particularly or Western Europe, think about piracy, we focus on the Caribbean and that golden age between 1650 and 1730. Um, so we aren't looking at the pirates who terrorized the China seas. Um, and so the focus is on those famous men like Blackbeard and Captain Kidd and Black Sam Bellamy. Um, but as you noted, Ching Shi was an incredibly powerful pirate leader. And I think that 
as we become more accepting of sex workers as individuals with uh, talent and uh, rights, that we might be taking their exploits more seriously historically and present. Yeah, because I mean, when when I was looking into her, like I really liked her. Yeah, oh, she, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> she was the one that was like, "I do not to- tolerate rape. Like, I'm gonna nail you to the ship." Yeah, well, and it also shows that you can make hard and fast rules like that of like, "Hey, we're pirates, but we're not that kind of pirates," and you can still be successful. Which I think is why I loved her so much. Is that like people think that if you put women in charge, they're going to change the rules and run the ship into the ocean ground, you know, <laughs> without respecting the fact that like, well, maybe those ideas are good. <laughs> you know, maybe if you put these hard and fast rules of like, yeah, we're not going to be raping the women in this town, then like it can actually produce better pirating. She's early Khaleesi. Absolutely. Before she went off the rails. <laughs> I mean, she even had a rule that if a pirate married one of the um, concubines or women that they captured, that he had to remain faithful to her. And if he didn't, uh, he was punished for that. So Mm. she had a lot of very interesting rules. But I think Ching Shi was very smart in that she operated in a still very patriarchal system. Uh, Women in China were losing a lot of the rights that they had originally had during this time period. Um, A lot of that was being eroded as the patriarchal system was uh, taking shape. And she, first she marries Ching Yi. Uh, So she becomes uh, Ching Yi Sao, wife of Ching Yi. Um, But then after his death, in order to secure her spot as pirate leader, she marries her stepson, Cheng Pao. So she's still operating very much in that patriarchal system and she does it to her advantage. Um, so that even after she surrenders, women weren't supposed to remarry after they were widowed, but she petitions the Chinese government and they allow her to, they accept her stepson as her new husband and he's taken a position in the Chinese government. And so she's able to maintain some semblance of power even after surrendering her pirate life. That's so, I mean, it's so interesting that yeah. a pirate is allowed to petition the government for I know. something. <laughs> 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 yeah. But the government would be like, hold your horse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Leave us be. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of like it because it almost grants her more ability to like keep defying the government and stealing and robbing. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, at least you're doing one thing appropriately. <laughs> and I feel like sometimes pirates operate in the bounds of the government because they're attacking the other ships that are like annoying Ooh. the government. Yeah. <laughs> like I feel yeah. like, was, I, I don't quite remember because it was year, about a year and a half ago and I was super drunk when I did the episode, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure that there was some sort of something with Vietnam. <laughs> I think there was something else was going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That might be true. Mm. Um, so let's talk about the world's best besties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anne, Bonnie, and Mary Reed, which is definitely a story we can get behind. It's a story that people like. It's that very British, you know, Irish pirate realm, I feel like. And so you've got the one that's raised as a boy and the one that's married. They're not quite captains. And then, like the famous story is that all the guys get drunk and they have to like fight off the the oncoming boat all by themselves and they're like come on boys <laughs> it's a fun that's a fun story to like watch as a girl why are we so obsessed with this duo what is it about them that is so enthralling 
Um, I, well, I think first and foremost, because they're women and we know them to be women. Um, so that one's kind of obvious, but, um, I think another reason we're so attracted to them is that they were known to be as violent, if not more violent than their male counterparts, which is unusual in terms of traditional gender norms. Um, as you mentioned, uh, they had to fight off a crew because the rest of the crew was hungover and couldn't fight. They were still drunk in many cases. <laughs> um, so I think between their gender and their ruthlessness, we're really attracted to this dynamic duo, but also the friendship that they developed leads many to question whether or not there was some same sex attraction or same sex relationship going on there. And uh, I think Dr. Simon does a really good job of this. She has a blog post about it um, for Pride Month, but basically uh, they had such a close relationship with each other because Anne was keeping Mary's secret on board the ship. She knew that Mary was a woman. And so she even kept that from Calico Jack Rackham, who was Anne's lover. And uh, based on evidence we have, the fact that both women were pregnant when they were captured um, and had their executions stayed because they were pregnant, um, there's rumor that there was like a threesome going on. Mm. And so there's uh, the sexuality aspect of it, I think, is really intriguing to a lot of people. Um, so yeah, it definitely makes it more contemporary. Yeah, I think so. Um, and what kind of evidence do we have? Are they mainly letters? Are they logs? Like what kind of things do we have that paint the picture of these two women for us? Uh, so the largest piece of evidence we have is, um, Captain Charles Johnson's A General History of the Robberies and Murders of the Most Notorious Pirates, mm -hmm. which was a book that came out in 1724. So it was contemporary mm -hmm. to the time of Anne, Bonnie, and Mary Reed. Of course, his is embellished, um, so we can't take it at face value, but it does offer a lot of very interesting information. Um, some of that, such as the pregnancies, is backed up by court records. Hmm. So the trial transcripts of Anne, Bonnie, and Mary Reed help to at least substantiate some part of Captain Charles Johnson's work. So did it not come out that Mary Reed um, was a woman until like this trial where it came out that she was pregnant or people on the ship kind of found out beforehand? Cause you mentioned that Anne was kind of keeping the secret. Um, so the only person, at least as far as the records go that found out that Mary was a woman was Calico Jack Rackham because he became incredibly jealous of the time that Anne and Mark who he, he knew her as Mark, were spending together. He thought Anne was cheating on him. And so, of course, Anne had to reveal Mary's secret in order to prevent uh, Rackham from killing Mary uh, or Anne, uh, just out of jealousy. So as far as I know, he's the only one on the ship who knew. It doesn't mean that other crew members didn't suspect mm. that she was a woman. Um, it's very possible that they might have suspected something, especially given how close um, Anne and Mary had become. Mm -hmm. um, there were questions on board the ship about this supposed affair. And so I think some of them might have hinted at believing she was a woman. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the art that when you like Google Anne, Bonnie, and Mary Reed is just like black and white, like images of 
two women with guns and like their boobs out. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't understand this. Yeah. I'm always like, what is this? I can't quite figure it out. What, what was that kind of art? Because, and when we get to Grace O'Malley, I feel like they did a similar picture of her, like talking to Queen Elizabeth the first, like with her boobs out. I was like, why? <laughs> well, I know with Anne Bonnie and Mary Reed, the reason that the artist depicted them with their chests bare is that he wanted the viewers to know they were women. Mm -hmm. And if he had just depicted them in the traditional clothing, it might not have been as obvious, especially because mm -hmm. some pirates had, like some men had long hair. Mm -hmm. um, so just doing long hair wouldn't have been enough to portray them as female. So he had to sort of go the extra step. <laughs> yeah. All right. Good to know. <laughs> so let's talk about Sadie the goat who now we're going to cover two women we haven't done on the podcast yet, mm -hmm. but we should. Yes. Sadie the goat is kind of interesting. She's living in New York and she gets this nickname because she's headbutting men in bars. <laughs> and then her counterpart is coming and stealing things. And then she goes out to the edge of Manhattan to become a river pirate. And I have never thought about this before, but the fact that like the rivers in New York and like the Mississippi river probably had people stealing from ships. Is that like a common thing being a river pirate? It is. Yeah. Um, in my doctoral research, I talk a lot about how even throughout the Caribbean um, and into the Chesapeake, pirates are using the inlets and islets and rivers to escape capture because pirates tended to use smaller ships with shallower drafts that could get into rivers without crashing into the land. And this allowed them to escape the much larger ships like frigates, which couldn't enter a river because they would just, you know, their draft was too deep. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of pirates utilize rivers and those sorts of tributaries to their advantage. I mean, it's, that's really cool. Yeah. I never thought about that before. <laughs> it's awesome. I feel like in my head, I always think of rivers as like small. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, yeah, we can just walk over there. And then I went to New Orleans and I was like, oh, the Mississippi river is ginormous. Yeah. <laughs> It feels like the ocean when you're there. And like holding all of the trade for all of America. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also always thought of, I was like, how do you get up the river though? It's just flowing one way. <laughs> yeah. I know nothing about rivers. Steam engines. <laughs> I was like, honest rivers, you know? Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Just around the riverbed. <laughs> exactly. Also taking place right around here though, so. True. True. <laughs> um, but... I, from like the very brief I looked into her because I, we obviously haven't done an episode on her. Like it said something about like her flag that literally said Jolly Roger and having people walk the plank and those types of things sound super piratey to me. Like is, is, was she the famous Jolly Roger or is there another boat and she's like replicating that? So Jolly Roger, I think what she's doing is taking um, their traditional flag moniker and using that to sort of maybe name her ship um the jolly roger itself comes from jolie rouge which uh was a real series of flags um use of the term jolly roger in reference to pirate flags goes all the way back to captain charles johnson's work um and it was in reference to originally privateer flags from the french they used red flags uh, to denote that they were privateers. Uh, others argue that the red flag as opposed to the black flag meant that you were going to take no quarter, which meant that if you had a red flag up, certain death 
was to come to you if that pirate boarded your ship, whereas the black flag denoted a pirate, but that they were willing to accommodate you and potentially take you on board as part of their crew. Hmm. So that's, there's question about whether or not that actually took place. Um, the flag most commonly identified as the Jolly Roger is, of course, the skull and crossbones. And that was used by uh, Black Sam Bellamy, Edward England, um, although other pirates used similar iterations of that. And so I think she's referencing the, the history of the flag when she puts Jolly Roger on her, on her ship. Got it. Okay. I like that. I, like it too. <laughs> I also just like Sadie. I love that she's headbutting guys. So what, <laughs> why was she headbutting guys? That was when she was a gangster in New York. Oh, I'm sorry. This is pre-pirate. <laughs> She's just like, I'm going to headbutt them, and then somebody's going to come and steal the stuff. So why did she make the transition from gangster to pirate? Was it just a natural one for her? Or was she like, I'd like to make a career change, a lateral <laughs> career change? So what happens with Sadie? Um, so we don't know that Sadie's real. Um, there's no evidence that she actually existed. But legend has it that Sadie was out there headbutting men uh, <laughs> so that she could steal their shit. And according to popular lore, uh, she had a long time feud with a six foot tall female bouncer named Gallus Mag. And Gallus Mag actually bites off one of Sadie's ears in a bar fight. Um, <laughs> and so folklore yeah. has it. <laughs> yeah, so folklore has it that she leaves the area in disgrace and ventures to the waterfront area in Westside Manhattan. And that's how she's wandering the dockyards in the spring of 1869, witnessing members of the Charlton Street Gang attempting to go river pirating, and she gets the idea of, you know, I could use this as a way to make money. Um, and so she and her crew reputedly sailed up and down the Hudson and Harlem rivers, raiding small villages and robbing farmhouses and doing whatever she can to make money and occasionally kidnapping people in order to ransom them. Um, she became known as the queen of the waterfront because of her exploits, at least according to legend. Um, my favorite thing about Sadie the Goat is that apparently she made a truce with Gallus Mag, who returned Sadie's ear to her because she had been keeping it in a pickle jar in the bar. And that Sadie kept the ear in a locket and wore it around her neck for the rest of her life. These women are wild. Sadie, yes. I love that. Get your ear back. Oh, my gosh. I'm also very interested in this, like, notorious female bouncer. Yeah. This is, like, yeah. crazy pirate gangster roadhouse. This she sounds to me like Miss Crunchable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also, I just love the idea of this being, like, the first, like, friendship necklace. You know, like, when you have, <laughs> Like when you had a friendship necklace with your friend when you were a kid, and it was like two halves of a broken heart, but it's just two halves of her ear. That's why. <laughs> two ears. That's how I imagine the two story. Two ears. Yeah. <laughs> Ew. I love it. Two rotting oh, ears. Sadie and Meg. <laughs> friendship for the ages. Oh, man. Uh, so I think maybe arguably the most famous female pirate, and one we haven't done yet, is Grace O'Malley. And I think. You know, she she checks all the boxes. She's Irish. She's supposedly got this red hair, or at least all of her pictures do. Um, and, you know, she's working for Queen Elizabeth I, practically. <laughs> so how common was it for pirates to actually work for the government? Um, it 
was pretty common during periods of warfare in particular, um, or when a government was not technically at war, but was trying to harm the government of another nation. So Queen Elizabeth I uses pirates to her advantage. Uh, they're called the Sea Dogs. And technically, they're privateers because she grants them a letter of mark to disrupt the shipping and trade of the Spanish. Um, now, a lot of them, of course, operate outside the bounds of their letter of mark. And the Spanish don't recognize the letter of mark, so they are no better than pirates to the Spanish. Um, so Queen Elizabeth I, the, she's using these sea dogs because England's navy isn't very well developed at this point. Uh, the English empire is not very well developed at this point. And so the sea dogs sort of help her to scope out and seize territory um, and enable her to build the financial security of the English empire. I mean, her dad was too busy killing his wives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really, focus, really focus on uh, building the empire. Um, yeah, I just found it so, in Grace and Valley, when I was reading the book and just, there's like almost a whole chapter about her and how she wouldn't bow to Queen Elizabeth I because she was from Ireland and she didn't recognize her as the Irish queen, mm. even though technically she kind of was. Like, it was interesting how they kind of had this woman-to-woman -woman talk where they had to speak Latin because um, Grace O'Malley didn't speak English. And then I think something about Queen Elizabeth didn't speak her native language, which I'm sure was some sort of... Like Gaelic. Or yeah, Gaelic or Celtic mm -hmm. Irish language. And it was just neat how it's like they struck this woman-to-woman, -woman, like, here's what we're going to do about this. And like, mm -hmm. we're going to make a deal together because it's like Grace O'Malley is the ultimate working mom. Queen Elizabeth the first is the ultimate, like, I'm not getting married. You can't tell me what to do. I'm the virgin <laughs> queen. Like it's very, it's interesting to me how they struck that deal. I don't know. I don't know anything about her other than that. I just said everything <laughs> I knew about Grace O'Malley. <laughs> I love Grace O'Malley just because she's such an interesting person. Um, so a lot of what we know about Grace is also legend because we don't have the written evidence for it. But uh, a couple of legends surrounding Grace's existence. Uh, the first is that when she was really young, she wanted to join her father on an expedition. And her father was told or told her that she couldn't go because her long hair would get caught up in the ropes. You know, girls can't be on board the ship. Uh, so to embarrass her father, according to legend, she cuts all her hair off, which earned her the nickname Bald Grace. For <laughs> <laughs> Grace. Uh, um, Another legend has it that Grace was pregnant with one of her sons while at sea, and within an hour of giving birth, Algerian pirates ambushed and boarded her ship, so she wrapped the son in a blanket, appeared on deck, and rallied her crew to the cause and led to the capture of the pirate vessel. So, you know, baby on the hip. She's oh out there swashbuckling. <laughs> so she's, you know, really badass in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. She uses her marriages to her advantage, um, she uses her family to her advantage. And so, um, I, I, I think she's really interesting. Do we think that she's maybe a little bit of the inspiration for Merida? <laughs> for Merida? <laughs> I just feel like the big red hair, the, you know, trying to be like a boy and her father says no. I don't know. I feel like that's I'm every seeing. Irish woman. I'm <laughs> <laughs> seeing some parallels. <laughs> um, okay. 
So other than the women that we just mentioned above, who are some pirate ladies that you think we should cover on our podcast? All right. So I have three for you. Okay. The first is Ludgerda. Ooh. Uh, she's a Viking pirate, supposedly, who once said it was better to rule without her husband. Um, when his fleet was in distress after he left her for another woman, uh, she rescued him, sailed in to save the day, rescuing her cheating husband, um, but had a knife in her skirt and stabbed him and said, <laughs> okay, I'm in charge now. Oh my God. So Ledgerda is definitely somebody, if you can find information about her, totally, totally should be on the list. If we, um, if we can't find it, we'll just make it up. That's, that's what we always true. do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, second one is Tuta of Illyria. Mm. Uh, once her husband Agron died in 231 BC, she became queen regent um, because her stepson was too young to rule. During her four years of reign over uh, what is now the Western Balkans, she encouraged piracy as a means of fighting back against Illyria's dominating neighbors such as Rome. Um, so Tuta's seafaring tribesmen brought her kingdom great wealth and power, but also won her significant enemies. Um, so Tuta is very interesting as well. Um, the third, and again, this is sort of like legend, but um, a contemporary and ally of the Turkish pirate Barbarossa was Saida al-Hura a pirate queen, and she was the last woman awarded the title of Alhura, which means queen, following the death of her husband, who had ruled Tetuan, Morocco. Um, her real name's not known, but basically her title translates to noble lady who is free and independent, the woman sovereign who bows to no superior authority which I think is just incredible. Um, she supposedly ruled from 1515 to 1542, controlling the Mediterranean Sea with her pirate fleet. Um, she and Barbarossa sort of agreed to take different sides of the Mediterranean. And uh, basically her design for piracy came from a wish to uh, avenge herself against the Christian enemy she felt had wronged her years before when Catholic monarchs Ferdinand and Isabella uh, ran her Muslim family out of Granada. So she was a feared figure, not only for the Spanish, but also the Portuguese. Uh, and her, the historical records are supposedly littered with paperwork involving reports about her exploits and her ransoms. So um, Saida Alhura, also very popular. Okay, that is a nice list. I'm excited. <laughs> I know. We, now we got a lot of work to do. Yes. <laughs> um, so before we go, what are some interesting facts that maybe we didn't mention about female pirates that we should know? Um, I mean, aside from Sadie the Goat's ear, Ching Chi start <laughs> as a sex worker and Anne, Bonnie, and Mary Reed's intimate friendship. Um, I'd say that they were really just like any other pirates. So the interesting facts about them would be the same facts that you might say about any traditional pirate, you know, that pirates probably didn't have peg legs because more often than not, amputations at sea meant a death sentence. Mm -hmm. um, medical care was often meted out by someone on the crew, uh, most likely the cook, <laughs> because <laughs> there was no surgeon on board. Um, and of course, phrases like, are and a vast and shiver me timbers 
Uh, those things, of course, are all from Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island. Um, and also, with rare exception, uh, Captain Kidd and potentially uh, Sadie the Goat being uh, the exception, pirates didn't bury their treasure. So, um, yeah, I think these women are operating within the confines of this patriarchal system and they're adapting to the, the wants and needs of that system. Um, and I think they do a really good job uh, because, again, we don't know very many female pirates because they were probably very successful in their attempts at hiding their identity. Yeah, I think it's just incredible. I'm, I'm like the more I, I always hope that there's like little tidbits that yeah. like come out in the news now and again, little pieces of evidence. But as always, we absolutely love and adore you on Twitter, on Instagram. We encourage all of our listeners to buy your book that's already out and your upcoming books in 2021. Mm-hmm. It's been a blast again to talk to you and hopefully at the end of this pandemic, we can drink together again yes. soon because we're actually really close together. And this time yes. your husband can come because he's home now, right? He is home now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, last time he was away mm-hmm. on military duty, I feel like. Yeah, we don't know what the world is like, but it's something like that. <laughs> well, we're glad he's home and we're glad that you have this new awesome job. Um, so really quick, can you tell our listeners where they can find you online and your book in stores or online? Yeah. So on Twitter and Instagram, my handle is the same. It's at La Historienne, which is just L underscore H-I-S-T-O-R-I-E-N-N-E, which is French for the historian. Um, and they can find my book if they want to shop on Amazon. It's available on Amazon. I think it's still on sale for like 18 bucks. Uh, there's also a Kindle version. I'm working on an audiobook version this year. Um, but if they don't want to shop Amazon, which I fully understand and support, uh, uh, use IndieBound. Uh, IndieBound.org will tell you what local bookstores either have it or can get it for you. Or you can order directly from Arcadia Publishing or the History Press. All right. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. It was such a blast to see you again. We miss you and we hope we can have more fun soon. (laughs) Yes, please. listening to her story on the rocks we are independently produced by 1986 entertainment and proudly recorded in baltimore maryland if there's a woman in history you would like us to cover you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com you can also message us on twitter or instagram we post all of our cocktail recipes on tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us see you next week bye